Welcome to the Balkoff Podcast. This week, we are joined by our special friend, Logan, a Tigers fan, and we are going to be running through the AL Central. Logan, if you don't mind, give us a quick introduction of yourself and the reason why you fell in love with the Motor City Kitties. Yeah, so thanks for thanks for having me, guys. So I'm a recycling consultant by day, but sports lover, baseball lover. I fell in love with the Tigers as a kid had a brief aside as a, a Yankees fan, which I know I love to love to talk with Andrew about. But yeah, something about the game of baseball is it's it's uh, it is romantic, right? You know, I if you go to my childhood bedroom, I have the Brad Pitt Moneyball poster hanging above my bed. It's a little unsettling sometimes when you wake up and you look at it and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's weird. But but it's just a you know I played you know through t-ball all the way through high school. What, why did I fall in love with the Tigers? I think the the moment that stands out to me was Maglio Ordonez's walk-off home run. As a kid, man, that was the coolest thing ever. And then we had to do a you know, character dress-up at one point, and I wore the hat with the dreads and you know the full jersey, and, and it, you know, it was on from there. So I will have to admit that that 2016 was probably the most that I ever felt positively about the Tigers, uh, personally, just because they had Pudge. And any team that had Pudge, except for his short stint with the Astros and the Yankees, I was just like, yep, all right, that's my second team now. Yeah, he was a dude. It was great. It was awesome watching him. And then having a, it's been a change having like a revolving cast of guys basically since then. Going back to the Moneyball poster, did you ever wake up in a cold sweat fearing that you were traded for a vending machine? I wouldn't be worth a vending machine. <laughs> I was, the, I was, a, I was a, a, you know, I was not a, uh, not a regular guy on the roster. So I okay, wish, I fair. wish they would trade me for a vending machine. I'd be a bag of balls <laughs> for sure. Maybe just a stack of those like nineties uh, cups with the purple swoosh oh, on yeah. it and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee cups. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, let's get right into the, the questions here. Uh, I hate to be a downer with the first one, but I want to talk about Spencer Torkelson and mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately his struggles and I'm wondering if we can make this a more general question even and ask, do you think the Tigers rush their hitting prospects? It feels like this is kind of a trend for me, but I'm wondering your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think that historically has been true. Since Dave Dombrowski's left um, and Al Avila was the GM, you know, up until the most recent hiring of Scott Harris, I, I think the, the Tigers' focus has not been on developing their prospects. It's been trading them, you know, that was Dave Dombrowski's MO and that's, that's fine. They, I, I really struggle to, to understand what they do with the development in the minors. It seems like there's always new managers and coaches at AAA and AA. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of consistency, although West, like West Michigan has been with Brian Pena. Yeah. Brian Pena seems to be pretty good lately. So I really struggle to, you know, to see What's their process? How are they developing these hitters? And it just seems like, all right, we're going to take the number one guy and we're going to, you know, move them up as fast as we can. 
A, a quick secondary question to that. Have you noticed any sort of change in philosophy? Like, are you, are, are the Tigers identifying more toolsy guys, high ceiling, low floor types that if they can get them to hit consistently, they'd be future all-stars? Are they looking for guys who are more higher floor, have a pretty solid bat tool, just mm-hmm. hoping to maybe to extract a little bit more power out of, or is there just kind of, like you mentioned, just take the best available and just kind of work with what you have? I think I think a lot of the guys have been, you know, the toolsy, but, you know, will they actually pan out? You look at a few years ago, one of their most recent second round draft picks out of, you know, the Juco. It's like these this dude has you know light tower power, but can he actually make it happen? And there's so far been it doesn't seem like like these young guys are developing. I don't know. Outside of maybe having a couple of those tools, I don't see any development of the other tools. So, yeah, I think the big thing is guys don't seem to, they don't seem to develop the hit tool and they don't seem to, you know, guys don't seem to hit for average. I guess that's true of the major leagues though. No one seems to hit for average anymore, but. feels like the Tigers have a lot of guys that hit 220 though. Oh yeah. That should, if they were in a better spot, maybe 240, 250. I mean, yeah, you know, it's luck, it's shifting, it's what have you, but mm-hmm. especially Torkelson, I mean, his stats from ASU are just thick and then. Yeah this is what we're left with because he's rushed. He's got, who mm-hmm. knows what's going on with the coaching, like you were saying. So yeah. I don't know, maybe we can like, what do you, what, what do you think we should expect from him? Like, what is the direction that you want to see? Like how much improvement would we want to see? Yeah. I think it's like, I would love to see a change of just approach in general, like of the hitters approach. So you play in Comerica park and they change the dimensions, I believe this year. So we'll see how that plays out, but you got alleys for dudes to hit doubles all day yet. You know, you guys have guys striking out at 30%. So why aren't you taking what's there? And, you know, Miguel Cabrera is a great example of that. You know, obviously one of the greatest hitters ever, but in his recent years has been hobbled and he just, you know, slaps his singles up the middle into the gaps and, and just, you know, trots on his way. And it's like, why isn't Spencer Torkelson, you know, I don't understand why they're not like why the the organizational direction isn't focusing on some of that, but I understand it's a a three, you know, true outcomes game. So I think approach wise, I think just like let him build his comp, let Torque build his confidence back up. He needs time in the minors to do that probably, or, you know, hopefully he has a great spring training and breaks the breaks, you know, with camp or uh, breaks with the team out of camp. But I think it really comes down to that. Like he needs to get his confidence back, you know, feel good about hitting, you know, off speed in the breaking ball. But I hope, I hope that with a new, you know, team around him and, uh, you know, front office and coaching staff that the approach changes so that, you know, there he's taking what he can get and taking what they're giving him. I wanted to move to the second question. The rotation feels like even with Casey Mize and Turk Scooball out, it seems pretty good. I don't know what to expect from Matt Boyd. I mean, we can get into the, the details, but Eduardo Rodriguez, if he returns to form after some, you know, scary stuff happening, it just feels like they have a lot of a lot of guys, you know, mm-hmm. that, that could come through. And there's some of them are in the minors too. Yeah, I think even with the injuries, the the top, you know, five guys in the rotation look good. Matt Manning has shown a lot of growth. Lorenzen is a guy who seems like he could it seems like he could be like one of the best players on his team no matter where he goes. And then what just doesn't turn doesn't pan out that way you know like if he wants if he had a career do-over who who would he be it could be totally different he might but be a hitter 
he might be he might be a hitter you know i think eduardo rodriguez and if is going is going to come back to form you know they signed him to be a, a consistent guy and i think he's you know shown that he'll, he'll do that but turnbull is really the question mark because he had he flashed like such great tools before tommy john so that's i think that's going to be the big question and uh, to think about some of the stuff that they did this offseason besides signing boy and signing Lorenzen, i'm wondering what your take is on, on the gregory soto trade sure you get three quality mlb hitters that you know are pretty decent bench pieces but i'm wondering if it makes sense to you to give up a closer for that i'm kind of iffy on it unless you really unless they really like maton veerling and stands i mean i don't know yeah, I don't know either. I think it's hard because a new front office probably wants to capitalize on trade value as much as possible, which I understand, right? Like Soto has consistently had a high walk rate and has some variability. Like, will he regress? You know, he's been an all-star for the last two years, but you have to have an all-star on, on the Tigers roster and it's been slim picking. So I think I think he uh, I think Harris is probably trying to capitalize on on the value i would have maybe liked to see a a mid-season you know wait until mid-season see what you can get because the demand is going to be so different based on like i don't think the tigers are going to contend this year as much as i would love to see them do that so how how at the deadline can you get a better package i think you could have got a better package than this at the deadline but i think you know hopefully hopefully some of those guys contribute Veerling's probably going to be on the big league roster. Who knows what's going to happen with the outfielders, you know, the the current group. So he might, you know, have every day at bats. Yeah, it was an interesting trade from my perspective. I mean, it's a closer. And while those are valuable, it's still a reliever. And potentially cold or hot take, depending on your perspective. Me personally, I've never traditionally valued closers that highly. More often than not, they're coming into clean, clean innings. They have a lead more often than not. It's they're looking just to get three outs and get out of there. Those three outs are not inherently more important than any other three outs throughout the game. There's just more focus on it because those are oftentimes the last three outs of the game. So I think the return, you you added some depth. I don't think you really got any above league average starters moving forward, but you did get some return on your asset. And so I, I think it, it speaks to a larger maybe philosophy or move that, okay, like we're kind of in the point where we need to start voting for the future. Gregory Soto has been fine. He's been fun. He's been good. Is he going to be here by the time we reach the next contention window? Is he, is he still going to have his effectiveness? Should we try to uh, capitalize on that to get some more bodies in in the system? So I think from that perspective, it was a good move, but still kind of a curious one. Just because, I mean, I like I like Matone good enough. Veerling, he's probably not ever going to hit very much, but he's a good defensive outfielder. And then Sands, just like with all prospects, it remains to be seen. Yeah, and I think the thing about Matone is he... The hit tool probably will be there, but could you have gone instead of gotten getting two players, Matone and Veerling, could you have gotten one more high quality player? I guess I think capitalize it. The Tigers have historically like failed to capitalize in their trades. You look at the original Matt Boyd like rumors, you know, for two years that went on the hot. You know, so I think I like the action. I like that they're going to capitalize on value now. Because they know, like, hey, we're probably not going to win a World Series with this guy in three years. And I, I, as a fan, it's hard. You want to go to the game and see a good product. But, like, I like that move because I hope that it will pay off down the road. 
Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. It's a really fine line to walk unless you are a team, unless you're a fan of a team like the Dodgers or Yankees or and teams that traditionally reload instead of rebuild. Or on the flip side, a fan of a team like the Guardians or the Rays who seem to just let their guys leave whenever they're ready to leave and they have replacements ready to fill in the gaps, you know, and and all systems go. When you're kind of in that middle tier and, and my favorite team kind of falls in that and for a while, so did so did Andrews. It, it, you, you're kind of in that, okay, we have to build this competitive window. And then once you're out of it, what is the plan for the next few years? Because building a roster, constructing a roster, if you're not a high spending team, or if you have don't have a tremendous track record of development, it's pretty hard. And so capitalizing on those assets is imperative to creating that next competitive window. And to your point, I think there's been some curious moves like the the Javi Baez signing, some of the trades that have been made that maybe the return didn't pan out or haven't been made. And now you're looking at guys who whose value are not nearly as uh, as high as what they once were. Me personally, I thought Scooball was going to get traded this offseason, maybe even last last trade deadline. And he didn't. And now he's injured and he's still a good young pitcher. But it, it remains to be seen like kind of what the the three five-year plan is because if you can't compete if you're not competing for a world championship in the next three years ideally as a fan like you mentioned you want to go to the ballpark and see a good product or you want to go to at least see progress towards an end goal yeah absolutely closely related to one of the names i just mentioned is there hope of, of an el mago rebound or are we just going to be waiting for his contract to end he had some really good years Early on in his career with the Cubs, he had kind of a resurgence in a, in a half of a season with the Mets. But a lot of his a lot of his peripherals and a lot of his stats have been on a pretty steady decline over the past few years. He doesn't get on base a lot. He strikes out a ton. Yeah, he has the the amazing wow moments. He can obviously hit a ball 450 feet whenever he connects with one. His defense is not quite what it once was. It's not up to the up to par with what the re- the reputation is. What is your sense for what you have with him? Is this something that you are hoping that can revert back to a previous time or get back to a, an acceptable range? Is it going to be too bad to where you can't even really flip that asset for for anything and just have to write out the contract? What is what is your kind of impression on what the future holds for him? Yeah, I, I think it all it all comes back to you know, how hit, how's he slugging, right? Because he doesn't really get on base of, you know, the six guys, six shortstops last winter, he was the most variability boomer bust, right? So I think you knew that when the, the signing happened, I think the best case scenario for me was he hit, he's, you know, great for two years ops out of his contract. And then, you know, if it's still so good, you go back and get him again. Right. And you just pay for it. That's, you know, the Tigers have under, you know, former, formerly uh, before Mike Illich died, you know, whereas they were willing to spend on those guys and they did that, you know, hasn't been as the case as much anymore. But I think, unfortunately, we're probably going to ride out the contract. I don't think he'll opt out because I don't think he'll get more money, uh, you know, after this year. I think he's you're still going to go to the ballpark and he's going to make, you know, some incredible defensive plays, but his range and speed aren't what they used to be. So, yeah, I think this year some of the rule changes might help. Like, you've got the bigger bags. Will he steal more bases? Yeah, probably. It'll be fun to watch. Will the new park dimensions help? Will will he, you know, be a better slugger? Will his slugging percentage go up? I think those are the questions that we ask. 
but it, it's yet to be seen. I think the, you know, he may opt out of the deal or he he won't opt out of the deal is my, my thought. But I, I think, you know, in three years or in two years, maybe he's having a good enough year and gets flipped at the deadline or dumped it. It could be a dump at the deadline. We'll see what happens in, in two years. But I think the, the, the contract will probably be, you know, he'll probably play out the, the rest of the contract or the Tigers will eat a lot of money to cut him. So our last question covers some of what we were talking about in the first couple. I'm mm-hmm. wondering what you think the outlook is here. Like what, when is the competitive window going to be? Do you think it's going to be with some of these young pitchers developing? Do you think it needs to be another round of more drafting and more waiting? Or do you think that there's pieces here that there's a path forward towards contention? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think I'm excited to see before I really make like past judgment, like what a year of Scott Harris looks like, you know, what's his, what's, what are the value moves that he makes that pans out? And we go, Oh man, that was a really great move in hindsight. I, you know, we see a lot of value and some good draft picks and good, you know, international free agent signings that I think I'll be able to make a really, you know, once I see that I'll have a better, uh, a better guess and probably excited about it. I think the next five years you have, two to three, you know, basically where they are now, where they're kind of fighting with Kansas City for the fourth and fifth spot. And, you know, maybe you see Chicago kind of bomb based on, you know, where they're at. So I think for the next the next two two years are two or three, <laughs> two or three years of, you know, are they third in the division or are they fifth in the division? Could be either. You know, how much do they beat up on each other? These bad teams beat up on each other. I think, you know, year four and five, I think there's some value. You know, like Scooble could, you know, come back from injury and and pitch well. Same with Mize. We expected a lot out of Mize coming out of Auburn, and, and it's been a bit of a disappointment. The underlying metrics haven't looked very good, but I think some of it is like, how are we developing these guys and, and are we rushing them? So the question is, Will the development team actually, you know, make make some make these guys into something? But we'll see. I, I think we'll see. I'm not I'm not I don't have a, an optimistic view of the next five years. I, I think there are some pieces. I think there's some framework there. There are gonna need to be some more high quality draft picks, maybe some some smart trades made along the way. But in addition to some of the guys you have right now, even a couple of them that are injured, there if you can get some of them to some semblance of what their expectations are for the young players and even some of the veterans. You have Jackson Joe, Colt Keith, Dylan Dingler, and a guy that I really like, J.C. Young, you know, in the farm system that should be up within the next three to four years, probably. And so Mm -hmm. I think that there is framework for a path to a contention. It's going to hinge on the always risky thing of are they going to pan out, which is never a guarantee. And what subsequent moves and selections are made over the over the coming years yeah absolutely and did you i don't know if you said parker meadows right you've got guys like even a little bit closer on the 40-man roster yeah but they still have some question marks like right you know they yeah they they've got enough promise right you want to protect them from the rule five but will they will they flash just one of those tools or you know is it is it all of them so I think I think the yes I agree the the question to some extent too will be are the Illiches willing to spend and invest will they will they go and get a big guy or you know trade the farm when they need to 
what if and if they get back to that piece of con- point of contention another guy that i'm really interested to watch is a guy that y'all selected in the rule five draft mason englert out of uh out of the rangers organization he hasn't pitched above double a and he hasn't pitched a ton in double a i think he was a he was a late call up last year but he there's something to him it's it, he's he was really fun to watch pitch in the minors last year and he's he's got that dog in him it's going to be a huge jump and some some maneuvering to keep him on the on the active roster all year so he's not sent back to texas but if you can hold on to him there's there's something there so i think that's an, another guy to keep an eye out for as well definitely i think i think they have the the flexibility to do that and they don't have a ton of young bullpen pieces that that look very promising Right. So if you're going to get shelled or, you know, there's enough, there's mop up duty to be had for sure. Um, exactly. But- you, you you can hide him for exactly that, you know, middle innings, late innings in a six run game. Hey, just get, just give me three to six outs, maybe pitching once or twice a week at most. Mm-hmm. Here's a random, Oh, you need to go on the, on the IL for a couple of weeks because you have a blister. Like you can, you can maneuver that pretty well. And I think it would be worth it because I really like his talent a lot. I rate him pretty highly. And so I'm just, I'm excited to see him. I'm it hurt watching him get drafted, uh, not to give away too much about my allegiances, but either, either he thrives or he, or he comes back home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we'll see. I think, I think there's a lot of promise. I, I think, and there've been some interesting moves so far, you know, like Scott Harris and the the Joe Jimenez trade with the Justin Henry Malloy. Like, I think that's a really interesting prospect. You know, he walks at a high rate and made it to triple a, you know, um, last season. So I think there's some guys who who have some, some real promise. Um, and maybe we have some bounce back years from guys like Akil Badu, but you know, it's like two years ago, he was a, a revelation. And it's like, was it just a sophomore slump or was it just a flash in the pan? It'd be nice because he is an all-name team honoree, oh, honestly. Absolutely. It seems the whole thing with like the first homer with the family too. I vividly remember remember that. Yeah. Cool. That so so cool. our uh our over under here is uh just a chance to kind of allow you to take the stage and talk about Miggy and how awesome he is. I set it at he has five hundred and seven career home runs. Mm-hmm. And the question basically is do you think he's gonna hit ten home runs? Yeah. Um I mean, he was negative one war player last year. Like, you hate to see it. Uh, will the fences maybe help? May potentially. I think last year. I mean, how many games did he play? Only he had less than four hundred at bats. So you know, maybe you give him another hundred more. Uh, will he have ten? I don't think so. But you saw what Albert Pujols did, you know, in St. Louis last year, and it gives you a little. I had a little when I saw that. I was like, man. I have a little hope for Miggy next year in the last year of his deal. Just a little bit. But I think realistically, no. I don't know if he gets to 10. I'm going to take the over only because I think that they're going to give him at bats. Um, You're not just going to have him on a retirement tour, you know, pinch hitting every day. He can still DH. Um, The fence is being moved in. That's going to help him. Mm -hmm. And I have a working theory that is completely unsubstantiated, but we had all of the discourse and all of the drama with the baseball last year. And I think as we move to these new rules with the league trying to promote offense, I think that they're going to stick with either the Goldilocks ball or the hot one, probably the Goldilocks. So I think we're going to see a little bit more, a little bit more offense, especially as it, as it pertains to power outside of guys like Aaron judge 
And I, I think that there's a chance. I, I think I would bet that he'll probably get 250 to 300 ABs. I could be completely wrong. I often am. It's fine. But I think he could get 250 to 300 ABs. And if all those factors come into play, I think he could probably hit a dozen. I think he's fully capable. It's really the question of health. I right. was at the game. Oh man, was that 2018 where he blew out his elbow? And you just watched him. You just watched like the the body language. He just knew. And I think he. I think every every year you read in the free press, it's like he's working on his training regimen. He's losing weight. He's working on flexibility. He's working on you know mobility and health. And I think I w- I hope that he does. I, I would love to see him hit hit a dozen, um, you know, and really go out with a bang. I'm going to go under, I'm I'm going to go with the analytics and they say seven or eight. I'm going to go with that too. If he hits seven or eight, these are still the players that he's passing. Gary Sheffield, Mel Ott, Eddie Matthews, and Ernie Banks. I mean, that's just wow. elite. That is elite. Somehow baseball reference has him, has him projected for 11 home runs. We'll see. That's why 10 was the number. Yeah. I, under, I'll take the under. Give me the under. Gary Sheffield right, needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, I know that's off, that's off topic, but good God. Like he would, I know he played for 47 different teams and I know some <laughs> people didn't particularly like him and he hit the most pop-ups in the league, like in history or whatever the case may be. Like, I don't care. The dude was awesome. And he was great even into his late thirties. Like he, he should be in the hall of fame. I'll die on that hill. No, it was great. Even watching him in Detroit at the end of his career, you know, just the, the sheer power like he was an incredible player should be a hall of famer without a doubt we literally talked about his mets tenure last podcast yeah because he was on the mets when he was 40 and he was playing the outfield and he was awesome up next we have the cleveland guardians on the inside we have josh bell and mike zanino and out we have austin hedges luke maley and relief pitcher anthony ghost the guardians have one of my favorite rosters in all of baseball in terms of construction it's not really new school in any particular way. They rely heavily on good batting average. They're not fantastic at getting on base about league average or at least average in terms of rankings. They do not hit a lot of homers, but have plenty of doubles and triples. And they still, as they still a ton of bases more so than just making the playoffs. Is this a roster type that can legitimately push to win the American league? Well, big picture, to think about it that way, I think the way that they have the hitting structured, I'm really intrigued, especially if Josh Bell returns to that first half he had in Washington, if he's that player still, and he hits doubles into the gaps in in Cleveland. I really like what they'd have, exactly what you were saying, the mix of average on base. I mean, Jose Ramirez is probably still the most underrated player in baseball. And then they have all these other pieces, like Oscar Gonzalez kind of came out of nowhere, I saw him in AAA because I live locally here where the, their AAA is at. And I mean, he was just a hulking guy and looks the part. So I think it really depends then on the pitching, staying healthy. I mean, Shane Bieber at his best is excellent. Cal Quantrill really intrigues me. Kirsten McKenzie was really great last year. And then you have Savali and Plesak, who are probably better than a 4 or 5 at their best, but who knows if they're going to be at their best. Savali was pretty bad last year and police had some crazy stuff happen in his life, you know? So I don't know. I like the way that it's put together. It feels a little raise where it's not three true outcomes. It's really like exactly what you were saying, put the ball in play, get on base, make it happen. So I really think that it's going to depend on the starting pitching. 
And I think that it's, it's Cleveland. So if they're in the same place that they were a couple of years ago, then I think that it, it's looking promising. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad that you brought up the pitching. If we look at the rankings from last year, the pitching was not quite as good as what I guess kind of the narrative was around their their starting rotation. They were comfortably around in the middle of the pack. I think that there's room for improvement there. You hit on a couple of key points that I think is one of the things that kept them kind of more in the middle of the pack instead of in the the upper third of starting rotations. But they have a bunch of guys who can be better than their slot in the rotation. And they also have a guys, a, a couple guys waiting in the wings as well that we'll get to here in a little bit. On top of that, their bullpen is incredible. So if they're not going to necessarily beat you with power, but if they can consistently get on base, advance bases, steal, take, go first to third, score from first on balls in the gap, stuff like that. They can score enough, and if they can get to their bull their bullpen with a lead, I think they'll, they'll be very dangerous. I'm really glad that you brought up Josh Bell because I love him. Yeah, sorry, I stole your thunder. No, you didn't steal it at all. It was a great transition. He wasn't fantastic after getting traded to the Padres last year, but he provides a good middle-of-the-order bat if he can return to form, especially the form that he had in Washington. And that is something that this team is in dire need of because, as I mentioned, outside of Jose Ramirez, they don't really have a ton of power. What are your expectations for Josh Bell in 2023 and what he can bring to the Guardians lineup? Well, listen, this team really needs power. They had Frymel Reyes, and then he kind of fell off the face of the earth. You get Josh Bell, I guess you're hoping for uh, the big homer seasons that he's had. I mean, he had a season in Pittsburgh where he put up 37, 27 with the Nationals in 2021. And I mean, are you looking for doubles? Are you looking for homers? I guess the extra base hit is an extra base hit. So... I'm hopeful that he'll bounce back. I mean, you get the protection of, of Jose Ramirez batting ahead of you. And if Andres Jimenez is as good as he was last year, then that's that's a nice setup. Or if Naylor is hot and you could put him between those two guys. I I, I like the potential here. I'm, I'm pretty high on a bounce back, but and it seems like you're pretty bullish on it too. So I think we're I think we're kind of on the same wavelength there, especially him as an X factor for, you know, getting the most out of what they have here because they have a lot of interesting pieces, but they need that that big bobber, it feels like. And that's what they got him for. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree. Having a big run producer outside of Jose Ramirez and between him, Josh Naylor, and uh, Mike Zanino, if they can get into the middle third in terms of, of homer production, I think that this can be a very dangerous offense. I don't think that it's going to necessarily be one of the best in the league, but it can, it, it'll be very, it'll be variable, which is always something that I like out of an offense. We can hit home runs, but we can also beat you small ball, putting the ball in play, you know, taking extra bases, stuff like that. So I'm a little bullish on him just because I personally love him. But I think while they haven't made a bunch of of changes or, or had a bunch of new additions to the team. I think that they've made a couple that are very smart for what they as an offense need. And so I, I really think that, that if he gets back to his ways, if he can put up 25 to 30 home runs, give you an OPS in the high seven hundreds, maybe low eight hundreds. I, I think that'd be a welcome addition to the team. You just looked out up and down the roster and it's just savvy construction. I mean, especially the bullpen, you mentioned it. I mean, it just feels like they're one, piece away and i think that they're hoping that it's going to be josh bell yeah and in true and in true guardians fashion it's not a it's it's not a headline move but it's they addressed really the one 
primary weakness they have as an offense, which is, you know, hitting for power. They, like I said, they hit a lot of doubles and they, and they have a bunch of speed and they hit plenty of triples. So extra base hits aren't necessarily a problem, but the easiest way to score a run on one swing is hitting one over the fence. And that was one thing that they were, I believe, 29th in the league last year. So if they can become 19th in the league, that immediately elevates their offense into becoming far more dangerous. Totally agree. Let's talk about some prospects. You mentioned it a bit earlier that the the Guardians are very reminiscent of the Rays in a lot of ways. They actually retain some of their players sometimes, which makes them slightly different, but they seem to always have people in the farm, either acquired via trade, good drafting, good Latin America signings, good development. Let's just go down some names real quick. We have Bo Naylor, who's who's probably going to start the season with the big league club. Also Josh's brother. Tyler Freeman, also probably going to start with the big league club. Brian Rocchio. You have George Valera, Logan Allen, Tanner Bibby, Daniel Espino. Daniel is starting in double A, but I've seen some publications have his ETA expected for this year. I think if he gets off to a really hot start, he could probably hit triple A in the summer and probably make his debut sometime late in the season. But they have a loaded farm system just ready to supplement what is already a good roster. So my question to you is which prospect are you most excited to watch this year? So like I already mentioned, I do live here where the AAA team is. Um, I got to see Rokio a lot last year, especially towards the end of the year when they brought him up from AA. Now, he's a really small person, but he has a really, really, really quick bat, which is very impressive. And again, even though he's a small person, he has really good range and he can play second or short, which the Guardians do have both the guys that they got in the Francisco Lindor trade up the middle. They have Jimenez and they have uh, Rosario. But Rosario shown the ability to play a little bit of center. He maybe he's not the best at it. And Miles Straw is clearly an excellent center fielder. That's really why he's on the team. But I do like what Rokio brings. And they can just kind of keep him at, at AAA for a lot of the season, which selfishly I would like because then I could see more of him. I don't know to go up to Cleveland to see him. But at the same time, you don't have to rush his development because you have these guys in front of him like Arias and both guys, the starters that I talked about already. So I think that he has a lot of upside and I'm intrigued to see what he's able to get out of his slight frame. I don't think that there's any problem being a small person. I mean, look at Dustin Pedroia's career and you know, that type of a player. I also think that Logan Allen is interesting because it feels like he's been injured for like three years. Um, if it's the same Logan Allen I'm thinking of that was traded by, from the Padres, right? Yeah. Um, it feels like he's been like out of baseball for a few years. So I'm intrigued to see that. And it feels like the, I think I saw him start once or twice here in Columbus and it felt like he was on like a pitch limit really strict one because of the injury so I don't know if they're thinking of him still as like a starter that can go 90 100 110 pitches in the majors or if they're gonna move him to the bullpen which he's a guy that could be in like the Drew Pomerantz mold if they do move him to the bullpen that might be an interesting thing because he does come from an interesting slot as a lefty so and a lefty in the bullpen is you know always needed every team probably needs that so both of those guys. Awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch Bo just because he's Josh's brother. And I, I always think stories like that are cool, like playing, like Ken Griffey playing with his dad. As much as I don't like him, uh, Marcus and Markeith Morris playing, you know, together. Just things like that I always think are pretty cool. Like growing up playing with your brother in the backyard and stuff like that. And then eventually playing on the same team professionally. That's just a super cool story. Brian Rocchio, also uh, excited to see that. Like for a lot of the things that you mentioned, he's very, very highly thought of. So really interested to see if 
when he gets called up and and how they decide to utilize him. You always get into that discussion of, is it better to have consistent at-bats in AAA or play every two or three days in the majors? So interested to see how that plays out. And then, of course, you know, with their pitching that we already talked about, if if there's another there's another season of, of kind of kind of having some issues in the back end of the rotation, which one of the pitchers are going to get called up to supplement? And last but certainly not least, although this is probably fitting with the narrative, the most unheralded superstar probably in baseball. Jose Ramirez has been one of the best players in in the entire sport during his career. I think he's put up over 50 war, according to fan graphs, and he's been playing for less than a decade. That's incredible. Is this finally the year that he is a true contender for MVP? Or will he still find himself kind of in the tier behind Judge, Otani, et cetera? I don't think there's any shame in him potentially not being the best in that tier with Otani and Judge, who just had an insane homer season last year. I'm looking here at the, the projections. I mean, 31 homers, 95 RBIs is one of the high ones here on fan graphs. And that just gives you a sense of what is expected from him by the analytics kind of based methods. So I don't know if he's going to be in that like top, top tier, but I think he's one of those guys, like, I mean, we didn't, we didn't really talk about Scott Rowling getting into the hall of fame, but he's that kind of a player where he's just so consistent, just does it every year. And then you will get to the end of his career and it's like, Oh wow. He has 425 homers or, you know, you know, like, wow. Like I feel like Adrian Beltre is a little bit like that too. Um, And you can obviously talk at length about that. So do I think that he's a contender for MVP? Certainly. Do I think he will win it? I probably wouldn't bet on it, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, at some point, I wonder if there's just a component that he plays in Cleveland. And this is no disrespect intended to Cleveland at all, but it's just... It's just a nature of baseball. And for those who watch it, you know, consistently, you understand that usually on the national broadcast, you have Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs, and then pick up four other teams that are good or were were good last year. And I just don't know if the exposure is necessarily there for him that he deserves. As I mentioned, he's been one of the most consistent and best players in the sport for almost a decade now. And he's still kind of anonymous when you put him in that conversation with the other players that we think of with Bryce Harper, with Juan Soto, with Aaron judge, so on and so forth. And I think that's unfair to him. I would like for him to get more recognition, but your call out of Roland and for, and in my opinion, a, 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 better example, Adrian Beltre is is a really good one where consistently high level and Beltre far more in the latter stages of his career in the last half of his career. But he's just so consistently good that you almost kind of become numb to a degree at how consistently good he is because it's not ever like, holy shit, look what he's done this year, because it's just what he does every year. He had one year, I think, when he was 26, where it was he had a bit of a down year and he started like a 106 OPS plus. But besides that, he's been in the 130s and 140s every pretty much every single year. And it's just it's mind breaking how consistently awesome he's been. And for me personally, I'm happy that the guardians extended him because he's one of those guys that, yeah, he's one of those guys that, yeah, for the fans. Exactly. I would have, I would have been, been sad for them if he ended up going to the Yankees or Dodgers or Cubs insert big market team here. Moving on to our over under, and this is somewhat related to the first question. Over under 1.5 playoff series played in 2023, aka do you think that they're going to make a deep playoff run this year? 
see it's tough because we have the wild card round and do I think that they'll be in the championship series is basically the question then, right? Exactly. I think that it'll be a tight series in the division series. I think that they'll get there, but I do think that they are going to surprise the people and do well. I think that they'll do what they did last year in the wild card series. And unfortunately they're probably going to end up playing the Yankees or the blue Jays in the division series. So I am not confident in their chances of that victory, but or I hope, I hope to be wrong. That's fair. Um, yeah, I'm I'm going to take the over as well. And because of your point, because of the wild card series, them going over would actually just be reaching the divisional series. So I'm going to take the over on that, unless their first series is the divisional series. So I am going to take the over just because I think while they're good, I don't think that they're going to be one of the top two seeds. And I do think that they're going to get out of the wild card round into the divisional round. And at that point, I think that their pitching, especially their top three, is going to put them in a really, really good position. And at that point, it just comes down to matchups and whether they they advance even further. All right, time for your and my Kansas City Royals. There's not a ton to say here, but we came up with some questions. I am intrigued by a lot of their young hitters. I want to start by asking you, Adam, about MJ Melendez and Vinny Pasquantino, which demands... Uh, Annunciation. What are your expectations for them? Do you think Melendez is going to catch a lot? Do you think Pasquantino is going to hit for average, or do you think he's just a power guy? What What are we What are we feeling here? We talked about this a couple of days ago. I love MJ, and not just the basketball player. I think he's really exciting. He, I think the average is going to be probably below two fifty, but I think he's going to hit for a lot of power, a lot of extra base hits. I think he's going to be kind of in the conversation, which we referenced a little bit in our first podcast a few weeks ago. He's going to be in a part of that like new emergence of the next wave of great catchers, him and Adley, some other guys coming up. He's he's going to be really fun. And Salvi is now pretty much just a DH. And I think that he's not necessarily going to be missed behind the plate very much because MJ is going to be going to be awesome back there. Vinny is an interesting case as well, because I'm also incredibly high on him. Got my Italian hands up in the air in celebration. I'm facing the East. I think he is going to hit for a decent average. I think he's going to hit in the probably at least 270. And I know like these are super traditional stats, but I think he has really, really good bat to ball skills. He has great plate discipline. He's going to walk a ton. I think he's going to drive the ball with power. Hitting in Kansas City is not particularly easy. You can get a ton of extra base hits, but hitting homers is traditionally pretty tough. It's one of the largest fields in baseball in terms of of square footage. Um, So there's a lot of room out there. I think he has the power to hit 20, 25 home runs, but I think he's also going to hit 35, maybe 40 doubles. And getting on base a ton, I think he's going to be a very valuable offensive player. Now, he does play first base, so his overall value is always going to take a bit of a hit because of that. But I'm really excited to watch them two specifically. And then on top of that, if you add Bobby Witt Jr., see if Salvador Perez can maybe somehow get back to like his insane like 40% fly ball for home run ratio or percentage or whatever it was, like it's just completely unsustainable in every form and fashion. Hunter Dozier, he can play pretty much four corners, maybe a little bit of second base still. DH, 
Beyond that, they just got a bunch of young guys. Maybe Drew Waters will will progress some more. The offense is going to have be heavily reliant on on their top four, I think. But the good thing is that three of those top four are super young, super talented players. That I think will be very, very fun and dangerous probably this year and then for maybe the next half decade or until the Royals trade them or let them walk in free agency. Moving on to the pitching staff. They re-signed Granky, so we don't have to talk about that because he's, you know, no known to be boring, so we don't have to discuss him. Yeah, there's uh, nothing notable about him. He's not my favorite pitcher in the history of baseball for any other reason. So Jordan Lyles and Ryan Yarborough. We talked a little bit about Yarborough with the Rays episode, but he's now signed with Kansas City. I'm intrigued here. I feel like Lyles is being passed around the league as like a no, you you flip by the deadline. No, you flip by the deadline sort of guy. Do you think that that's what they're hoping for? Or do you think that there's something here in both of them? Not to be mean, but no, I don't think I don't think uh, Jordan Lyles is really going to bring much to the table. He's kind of been the preeminent we are rebuilding pitcher for the past few years. He's just there to give him some innings, take his lumps, be a good presence in the clubhouse. But I mean, I would not expect much of anything from him. He was okay to bad last year with the Orioles. And I know that didn't necessarily fit the we're rebuilding narrative, but he was just a, a guy to take innings because the, the Orioles did not have a whole lot of pitchers to take those innings last year. As far as Yarborough, we, we talked about it a bit before. He really kind of found what worked for him and he got himself to a couple of all-star games. But I think he is a bit exposed as a starter. You can get away with not having a ton of juice in in your velocity if you have incredible location and incredible deception and, and secondary pitches and stuff like that. And I think that his secondary pitches are okay. His location is okay. It's For him, it's more about the deception in, in his delivery. And over the course of a season and a full starter workload, I think that that ultimately gets gets found out at some point. It's the reason why you, most of the pitchers you see with insanely weird deliveries or or stuff like that eventually find those find them find their way into the bullpen i'm interested in seeing how singer and keller progress this year they're still pretty young they they should theoretically kind of be getting into the the primes of their careers so you're kind of hoping for some step forward from them a little bit probably more singer than keller and then another guy that i'm interested in in following is a guy who was very highly thought of a first round pick but has kind of fallen on hard times at, right after he reached double A is Asa Lacey. He came out of college as a very, very highly thought of polished college pitcher. And he just has not been able to find the strike zone. And sometimes that is just the death sentence for pitchers. Sometimes that can be overcome with mechanics, with just refinement of your delivery. I know he's had injury issues as well, but him progressing and becoming something close maybe to what they thought they were getting whenever they drafted him would be a very welcome sign. And I think with a very strong year, he could find his, he could find his way to Kansas city at some point this year, but from the pitching staff outside of Grinky, who's just so fun to watch, even when he's throwing 72 miles an hour, sometimes in the low fifties on his slow EFIS curveball, it's, it's a bunch of guys who they're either hoping soak up innings from Grinky, Lyles, and Yarborough, and then a couple guys who they're looking to take a step forward, and then their prospects taking a step forward as well. So I'm not particularly geeked about the rotation, but I think there is some interesting storylines there. I'm going to jump around here in the order that we have in the doc, but it feels like they have a lot of quad A pitchers 
we look at the AAA page on roster resource, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys that are listed as starting pitchers at AAA. And some of them are former first round and second round picks like Daniel Lynch and Bubich and Hazley might be more of a bullpen guy. But I love that you brought up Ace Lacey. I think that it really just demonstrates that they have guys that seem to be assets and in theory should be good, but haven't either shown it yet at the major league level or haven't progressed as quickly in the case of Lacey, like exactly what you were mentioning. Haven't been able to like kind of move through that system quickly. So yeah, that's my take on that. I don't know if you have anything else to add. We can move on to talk about the bullpen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we can kind of combo this together between this and the bullpen. I mean, I think there are a bunch of interesting names there. It There are, like you mentioned, a bunch of quad A pitchers. And you're hoping from this list of eight guys, maybe nine guys with Lacey that, okay, give us two. Just give us two that take a step forward this year, two that we can maybe depend on or or call up as reinforcements. You know, when Lyles has a 5.7 ERA and a 6.2 uh FIP, you know, in in the end of June or something like that. I mean, Jackson Coar, like he's a guy who is highly touted. Uh you mentioned Bubich and Daniel Lynch. I mean, there are names there that should give you some hope and optimism that okay, like maybe this is finally the year that they figure it out. But depth, I don't think is a concern for the Royals because like let's be frank, like they're not looking to necessarily contend to make the playoffs. If they do, then things have gone incredibly well and everyone's happy. Like, awesome. Great story. But I don't think that they're necessarily expecting it. So I think you're going to see at some point, probably most of these guys get a couple of starts here and there, maybe get brought up. Maybe they were showing promise in AAA and they get caught, called up to spot start or fill in for an injury or ineffectiveness or whatever. And maybe they they start to figure things out. So I think that there are some things to look forward to with that as it as it per pertains to the bullpen the bullpen is really solid chapman uh, we don't have to talk about him if we don't have to but yeah he can throw really hard and if he does find his velocity i think he can be very effective but bullpen is important in keeping you in games and keeping you ahead in games and that's going to be the eternal question for the royals this year is how effective is the bullpen really going to be if they're constantly down three or four runs so i do think it has a chance to be solid Personally, I think that that is going to be a position where they could probably get some assets from throughout the year if their bullpen is performing as expected. And maybe Chapman, God, you know, God help us. Maybe he does come back and he's he's awesome for two or three months. They could probably flip flip him to a contender, get a fringy top 100 guy and a lotto ticket. Right. And there suddenly you just made your farm system better for a guy who's not necessarily getting you over the hump into con into contention. So there's interest there. But I think it's going to be I think the bullpen for me for the Kansas City Royals in 2023 is more about, OK, like, can we turn any of these assets into into prospects more so than like, what is it going to mean over the course of the season? Yeah, I agree. And they have Amir Garrett here, too. And they have Barlow. So they have some interesting pieces it, it would have been a better bullpen probably three or four years ago especially when Chapman was at his peak but yeah it, it's intriguing and we'll see what happens with it uh, my over under here is for us to talk about Bobby Witt for a little while I'm wondering if you think that the outrageous expectations for him have kind of dampened our view on him do you think it's a defense thing and the over under really is will he put up a 111 WRC plus I mean that's a tougher that to kind of guess at because it's really context dependent but i'm wondering your take on bobby Wood jr like what are you expecting from him 
Yeah, that's a great question. So yes, there were incredible expectations. Last year was really his first year in the show and there are growing pains, right? Like no matter how good you are, very, very few. Mike Trout struggled his first swim in the majors. And we're talking about potentially the greatest outfielder we've seen since Griffey, right? And so it's a huge jump, no matter how good you are going from the minors to the majors and pitchers will find out your weakness and balls are being hit at you harder. You're being asked more on defense. It's just a, another step, step and a half up from where he was dominating in double A AA and triple A. And so I mean, we got to remember this dude's been out of high school seemingly for like, what, three years? Like he's still so young and he dominated every step of the way through the minors. So what if he didn't set the world on fire last year? I, I'm not worried for him. I think the 111 WRC plus for him, that expectation, I think that's an easy over because year two is usually where you see guys start figuring it out. And so there's not really much of a hesitation for me to go over. If he does kind of struggle again this year, it's not catastrophic, but then you kind of start feeling a little, a little different. Like, okay, like maybe we like, is there something in his swing mechanics? Is there something in, in his bat path? You know, you can start looking at things like that, but I, I'm not really concerned for him. Like he's, he was one, one for a reason. He flew through the minors for a reason I don't see a huge reason why we shouldn't expect for him to to get it squared away and become one of the best young players in baseball. Yeah, I think it's a learning curve thing too coming up, especially when the team there was like nobody around him. Now this top of the order, maybe the bottom of the order is not so hot, but with Melendez and with Salvi and with Pasquantino, he's going to get pitches to hit, which is going to help out. And there's just more of a sense of like, okay, I'm here. I have my spot. I'm going to hit in this spot in the lineup, whatever it's decided. It will be by the manager or by the analytics staff, whatever works out in that way. So I do think that it'll probably be over this 111. I think I'm, ex- I'm, I'm thinking that the expectations were crazy because of the success in the minors. So hopefully the success in the majors follows. All right. White Sox. Great vibe oh. here. Yeah, up next we have the Southsiders. On the inside, we have Andrew Benintendo 64 and Mike Clevenger. The vibes are not great on those, which we don't have to get into it with Mike Clevenger, but for Benintendo 64, he uh, had the the very, very feared uh, hammock bone uh, removal, hook removal surgery. And then on the outside, they've lost quite a few people who played a pretty large role last year. Elvis Andrews, who they got in a trade. Jose Abreu, who's been a mainstay in their lineup for for what feels like forever. Johnny Cueto, who's never not going to be good for some reason. Josh Harrison, Danny Mendick, AJ Pollock, Vince Velasquez, and Adam Engel. So just from that right there, you can see that they've had a lot of people, a lot of people who had pretty significant playing time last year on the out. And they brought in a starting pitcher who is going through some stuff right now. And Benintendo 64, a guy who is coming back from surgery. That leads us straight into our first question. As we know, hammerbone surgery is notorious for sapping power from hitters the season after. While Andrew is not necessarily known for his power, we still, or at least I still expect for it to have some hindrance. Zips has him projected for a 274, 352, 420 slash line. What should we expect from Benintendo this year? Is that a reasonable expectation? Or do you think that the the recovery is going to hinder him more? 
I think with the Yankees, it was very clear that he couldn't lift and separate just from this injury. I don't know when it like was fully realized that it, this is what it was and that he needed the surgery. But for me, watching that stretch run when he got traded from the Royals over, it was pretty clear that he couldn't really get it going in that way. Plus, let's not forget, he missed almost the entire 2020 season. So other than the one year in 2021, uh, with the Royals, he hasn't really been fully healthy since he was before the trade when he was with the Red Sox. So am I expecting him to meet, meet this slash line that he had with uh, the Zips projection? Well, I mean, his talent is there. He's clearly very good. Maybe not as great as we thought that first year, first full year with the Red Sox where he had 20 homers and had 20 steals. I think when you know that you can't lift and separate and, and hit homers and Get, get into your power. I think you need to find, figure out other ways to get on base, shorting up with two strikes, all that kind of stuff, looking at more pitches. So I think that a higher OBP would suit him with this injury, but that doesn't seem to really be his game necessarily. So I think we'll see. I think he'll come in somewhere around this in the three war that he's projected for. And that's, that's the best case scenario, I think. I think that's the hope. What do you say? Do you think it's going to be a little... Better, a little worse? Me personally, I think it's going to be a little bit worse. I think he may have a spike a little bit in average and on base percentage just because of, I mean, he's a talented hitter. He's 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 never going to be a big power guy, even when he's fully healthy. I, th- I think you could probably conservatively cap his expectation for for home runs at around 20 each year. And that's even, that's a, that's a good season for him. Add on to that, what we've already kind of discussed with the playing field where he came from in in Kansas City and then going to New York having that issue there now they're going now he's going to a much more hitter friendly park and the defensive rules being changed i think it's going to lend himself to being able to get close to this line but just because of my hesitation with that surgery, I, I think we we talked about it a little bit before, but Matt Olson is really like one of the main guys that we've seen who did not have that affect him in the year after. Almost everyone else, Joey Gallo was one that we saw, you know, hit him very hard, who just was not able to to hit the ball with power or hard at all for about six months after he came back from that surgery. So I think he'll be close only on the back of the on-base percentage, but I, I think his slugging will be somewhere around the 400 maybe a little maybe 390 to 410 in that sphere so i think he could ultimately get to the ops number but matching that slugging percentage i'm i'm gonna take the under on that we touched on the bad vibes a little bit already for the two major acquisitions and combining that with the bad vibes last year from expectations not met the manager that is fortunately no longer there that i don't think anyone likes is there a feeling that this core, while young and talented, has the potential to be championship caliber, or are we already starting to trend a bit towards another rebuild within the next three years? A couple of things to keep in mind. There's not a whole lot of high-level talent in the minors. The farm ranking is mostly in the mid-20s, but we'll just say in the 20s. Key players approaching free agency within the next three years. What say you on the outlook for these White Sox? I think the exemplary thing that shows you that they're in trouble is their second baseman situation. They had the opportunity to go out and get, I mean, they still could, they probably won't, something substantial here. Last year, they kind of stopgapped it with Elvis Andrews. It was pretty good for them, if I'm remembering correctly. But I feel like you have an opportunity to really improve your roster 
and have nine guys that are going to play every day. And right now you kind of have a platoon situation where Leori Garcia is going to see at-bats and Romney Gonzalez, who I think had some flashes last year, but I think that there was a space for them to really stay. We are going to make sure that this team this year has a clear second baseman and that it's not unclear going into the season who it's going to be or who it's going to be every day. So I think that that really kind of exemplifies it. And like you said, if this falls apart, guys like Tim Anderson are not going to stick around if they don't get signed to full long-term contracts. Like what would be the incentive to re-sign if the team is just kind of hovering exactly around where they were last year, right around 500 or slightly under. So it's a vibes thing with the vibes just being bad of who they have here too. And it feels like it could go, it's going to go either way this year. And I'm not confident in it going in a great direction unless they add a little bit more here or if we see like Dylan Cease take even yet another step. But I don't think that, I think that that was an exceptional year and probably a career year. But I could be wrong. So we'll see what happens, but I'm not confident. Yeah, just like with anything with it, with, you know, projections or or what we think, it always remains to be seen. I I just can't shake the feeling. And I, I think we see it oftentimes in other sports, um, less so in baseball. I think it's because you play so many games day to day or day after day that there just feels like there's some sort of cloud kind of hanging over them right now. And we look at, you know, key guys coming up soon. You have Tim Anderson, who's coming up on free agency sometimes some here in the next couple of years. And he's already in his age 30 year. Andrew Benintendi, yeah, I signed him to a long-term extension. What can we really expect for him? He's kind of, he's going to be 29 soon. And he's had, like you mentioned, some injury issues over the past few years. Luis uh, Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Yohan Mancada, Andrew Vaughn, great young players. Some haven't necessarily met expectations yet, but they're, you know, even some of the extensions that they've already given are kind of getting close to that point of either signing a new contract or reaching free agency. And I think that quite a few of them will, will opt to reach free agency. So that combined with Lucas Giolito, I don't think he's ever going to be Cy Giolito again. That was, we can kind of <laughs> say that that was an outlier year for him. Lance Lynn, awesome. what, yeah, he was awesome, but it was an outlier year. Lance Lynn, while awesome to watch pitch, because he throws one pitch that just moves different ways. It's just a fastball. That's always what you get. He's not getting any younger. I, I don't know what to expect from, from Dylan because that could be his career year. Maybe he unlocks another gear, but he's not too far away from free agency too. He's working on, I think he's a free agent in, in three years. Clevenger, we don't really need to speak more about him. He wasn't super effective last year when he came back and he's got issues that he needs to worry about more so than just pitching. There's just not a whole lot of depth to this to this team. And like I said, it, it's purely vibes from my standpoint, but it just feels like there's something negative hanging over them. And I don't know if this is going to be a core that you're going to see in five years, you know, still competing to win the AO Central. I It has a feeling to me that, this is what they're going to rock with over the next couple of years. And if it doesn't work, then you're going to start seeing these people leave or get traded or whatever the case may be. And so that's, that's kind of the overall feeling I have about it. So with Liam Hendricks going through non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Garrett Crochet on the shelf from Tommy John, those are both significant blows to their bullpen. Assuming that they can get just average performance from the rotation, will the bullpen be their downfall? I'm so glad that you asked it this way because I completely agree with this framing. I really worry about it being a situation where you have to rely on some guys here who I like 
Graveman is a really interesting piece because of his kind of transformation into a, a late inning reliever, which I really didn't see coming. I just thought he would kind of be a third or fourth starter around the league the rest of his career. So he's interesting, but the workload on him is going to be high. Aaron Bummer has high highs, but then after that, Jake Diekman's kind of volatile, one of those volatile relievers who will have a good year and then have not a not so good year. And I don't mean to dump on the guy, but I feel like if you're trusting Joe Kelly to get big outs in the seventh and eighth, that seems like a bit of a problem because he could have a two week stretch where he's great, but then he could have a two week stretch where he doesn't have any control and gives up a lot of hits. So I do worry about exactly the framing here. And I think that this is a big, big problem for them. And again, it's a space where you could have gone in and said, especially once you found out about the terrible news about Hendricks and we hope he's recovering well, you knew that that was happening and you still do have time now. We're in early February to do something about it. But going into the season with this as your bullpen and the three guys I was talking about and Deacon included in that, I do worry. So I think. Yeah, it's, it's another point to the depth aspect of it. I mean, their entire roster, while they have talent, like that's undeniable, they have talent. When they made the playoffs a couple years ago, was it maybe on the back of some a beating up on some bad teams that are in their division? Maybe. Were they really a 90 plus win team? Maybe not. Last year, we just it just didn't feel good from the start. There's just not a whole lot of depth there. And I agree they they could have addressed it and they didn't. And already with the question marks that they have in the rotation, the question marks that they have in the depth in their lineup, although it can be good, the production was not very good last year. This bullpen doesn't give me a lot of confidence in what they can do. And so I think it's going to be, unless they address it, I, I think it's something that's going to be very, very tough to get through. And I really don't, I, I don't see it ending particularly well. I agree with what you said about Joe Kelly. He can have stretches, but I mean, he's almost 35 now. Like, I don't know if you can count on him to be an 80 inning, you know, late inning reliever and a, a lockdown guy anymore and so it's it's going to be something that's going to be very in interesting to track but i don't necessarily have high hopes for it i cannot tell you how much dodgers fans despise him for <laughs> what he did to them when he was a red Sox, and then he came over to them and he was pretty bad with them and i've never heard booing that loud in la other than when people were watching rajon rondo take really open threes and completely brick them so yeah <laughs> It's not a not a great situation. No, not at all. I don't think many many fan bases really like him. Um, and then, all right, up next, coming off a disappointing year with very middling production from the offense and pitching, they got a new manager. They lost some guys as we are as we've already outlined. Added some bad vibes. Will the White Sox be in the playoff conversation this year? I expect exactly the same thing that they did last year to happen again. Basically, identical is what I would anticipate where it feels like, oh, are they going to make a jump, especially around August? But again, if they don't add to what they have here and they have some really talented young players and some notable and known entities like Lance Lynn, if you don't add to it or find guys, diamonds in the rough types, I think it's going to be basically a 500 team or an 82 or 81 team. I think that that's right where I would expect it to be. So do I think that they'll be in the playoff conversation? With the, with the extra wild card, maybe, but I think it'll be basically the same as last year. Yeah, I agree with you. If they don't get a pretty decent step forward from Yohan Moncada, they just don't have, like I said before, I've said it throughout this entire section, they just don't have the depth that I would like to see from a playoff contending team. And 
I, I agree with you. I think it could be a situation where they start off and they're in the hunt. Maybe they're not necessarily in first place, but they're in a wild card spot for a long time. And then as you reach the dog days of summer, you slowly start seeing them fade out. And they don't really have a ton of assets to trade to better their team without removing usable assets that they have right now. And so it's going to come down to can these older pitchers and older relievers maintain their effectiveness through the course of a season without hopefully getting injured, without, you know, just gassing out, you know, as as they as their innings start increasing and, you know, more and more. And so I I agree with you. I think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be a terrible start. I expect them to start off pretty, pretty well, but I see a team that will fade down the stretch. And so I think they're they're going to be somewhere around the 80 to 82 wins, maybe 78, somewhere in that range. And they'll be within four or five games of a playoff spot, probably until the last month and end up being, you know, eight, 10 games out. And then lastly, our over under for these White Sox over under uh, 0.5 playoff games played. I do not think they're going to make the playoffs, so I will go under. I will take the under as well. All right, time for the Minnesota Twins. I want to start by talking about Carlos Correa. What do you make of this saga here? We don't have to talk about the Mets part or the other parts of this. What do you make yeah. of them letting him go and then eventually resigning him? What do you What do you think? I mean, I don't think that they necessarily let him go. I mean, he opted out. Like they put those opt-outs under the contract. So I, I wouldn't necessarily classify it in that in that way. But I think all of that was logical. He had a good season last year. We knew he was going to opt out. Once the physical failed for the Giants, the Twins made their way back in and made an offer. He didn't like it, but they it was, I think, always logical that the Twins were going to be a fallback option. He went to the Mets. That fell through as well. Once that happened, I I would have put a paycheck that he was going to be back with the Twins. They already cleared him once. They felt confident enough to give him a deal, you know, already. And they found a way to structure it to where they kind of protected themselves. Correa got some protection and got some compensation, obviously, because he is unfortunately a great player. But I don't think the the saga aspect of it, I don't from the Twins' perspective, I don't think it was that much of a saga it was like hey all right go go test your waters big dog we'll be here we want you back if you decide to come back cool if not we're not going to we're not going to give you 350 million dollars just because we want you like that badly but when you come back like we'll we'll give you a contract and he got to the point where they were pretty much the only team who was going to give him a long-term contract and it made it happen yeah exactly what you said about it being like that they passed him the first time so clearly they're not concerned about the same problems the Giants and the Mets are. So I do think it makes logical sense for them, especially if he achieves some of the heights he has in his career. So yeah, I think maybe letting him go as opposed to thinking about it as an opt-out and then you let him come back or you take him back because you're willing to. Uh, the other the other thing here in the offseason, we talked at great length about the Pablo Lopez trade from the Marlins perspective. They also got in a pretty under-the-radar move. They got Michael A. Taylor who's an intriguing outfielder, and they got Christian Vasquez, who if he achieves what he can achieve at the heights that he did when he was in Boston, I really like. And also a special question for you, what are reasonable expectations for Joey Gallo and Yoro Barlow in 2023, given all he's gone through with the Yankees and the Dodgers? I mean, did you say reasonable? Yeah, and I mean, unreasonable because... is crazy homer stats because they're possible in that ballpark, apparently. I mean, 
look at the years that like a guy like Miguel Sano had there, even though he can't really hit for for average, you know. Well, I want you to know first off the bat that I cannot be reasonable as it pertains to Joey Gallo. We'll get into that. I'll answer the other questions first. Michael A. Taylor, he's a he's a good defensive outfielder. He's never been incredible with the bat, but he's he's a good bench guy. I, I think that was a really prudent move. They have so far not ended up trading Max Kepler. So as it stands right now, you have Kepler, Gallo, Buxton in the outfield. That is a really good defensive outfield and can give you a very high ceiling offensively, assuming health and, and and production, if they can play up to their potential and abilities. Christian Vasquez, I think, is one of the most underrated signings of this offseason because they went from they went from the corpse of Gary Sanchez to a guy who you can have a lot more baseline expectation for. Gary Sanchez was intriguing because he has ungodly power. He's a terrible defender. But he had ungodly power, and if he could just find the contact again, you know that was would have been an would have been an incredible signing. It didn't pan out, is what it is. They went and got a guy who they have. Okay, this is what we can at least expect on the baseline. He can get to a higher level. He has done so in the past. Whether he does, that's not necessarily as important because we know we have consistency there, and we have a good defensive catcher. Their offense is good enough. They can have me back there catching. If I somehow turned into a great framer and a good defensive catcher, they could have me back there and it'd be okay. I really like their offense. Now, as it pertains to Joey Gallo, besides Ian Kinsler, he is probably my favorite player. This, it it went Pudge, Ian Kinsler, and then probably Joey Gallo. And I loved him in Texas. He was so fun. Yes, he strikes out a ton. Who cares? He has insane power. He is an, he's an incredible, incredible outfielder like so good you do not think a man that size he's kind of like judge light on defense although in my opinion a little bit better of an outfielder yes i agree he he has a cannon he can move well for a big guy he makes funny faces he he i think he has facial tics like i do like it's it's just everything about him i just love the dude he went to new york they broke my poor boy i will never forgive them for that he didn't really have a spot in the lineup with the Dodgers. He got some at bats here and there, but he just like didn't really have a consistent playing time. I think this is a good situation for him. When he played in the Futures game like a decade ago, he hit a ball pretty much out of the stadium, like onto the parking garage. Like his, he loves hitting in Minnesota. And I think once again, I cannot be realistic as it or reasonable as it pertains to Joey Gallo, but I can quite honestly, I can see a 220, 340, 490 split for him. Like pretty, pretty easily. If he can, if he can just get back to not even what he was when he was at his best with the Rangers, if he can just get back to the point where he's batting in the 210s, 220s, he's always gonna walk. He takes a lot of walks. And when he puts when he puts the ball in play, it's usually very, very hard. The defensive rules are going to help him a ton. He was one of the biggest sufferers of the shift because he would hit just absolute smoke show line drives that the second baseman would catch 120 feet into the outfield. So I think that's going to help him. I see a bounce back season for him. And I was very much hoping that my team would would sign him this year because I think all those things would have been in play if he went back to... We went if we went to my team as well. So I'm very bullish on him. I really, really like the twins offense. And I think that it's going to be very fun to watch. Yeah, I like that they get Michael A. Taylor, because unfortunately Byron Buxton appears to be an injury prone player at this point. And you want to have a kind of cover for him and also for the other two spots. 
I completely agree with what you were talking about with Christian Vasquez. And I do agree to some extent that Joey Gallo is a nice bounce back candidate for certain. It can't get any worse than it was in, in New York. And if he likes hitting there, like you said, I think that it's a good fit. So let's get into their pitching staff. They seem to have a thing here. All five of their starting pitchers have been traded for since 2020. Ken DeMaid is coming off of Tommy John. They got Tyler Malley, Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, who knows what he still has. And they just got Pablo Lopez. Do you like how this sets up? And uh, they also have Paddock, who's coming off the injured list, and they have some options in uh, AAA as well. Yeah, I, I think that this is kind of the I think this is kind of the opposite of what we were looking at with the White Sox. I mean, they have depth here. And so if they run into issues where Kenta isn't effective coming off Tommy John, if Sonny Gray, just him through his career, he's been very volatile. And sometimes even within the same season, he'll start off and he'll have a couple months where he's just getting Sick. shelled. Amazing. Yeah, he's just getting smacked. And then he'll come around and have and give you, you know, 50 incredible innings after that. Incredible for him are usually like, I don't know, giving up two and a half runs per nine or whatever the case may be like he can be great he can be really good he can also be kind of bad we'll see that I love Pablo Lopez we talked about that already quite a bit Joe Ryan was really fun last year before he got hurt same thing with 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 Bailey Ober Tyler Maley he's fine but Paddock he has talent he can throw the ball very hard he (laughs) After he got traded from the from the Padres, I remember him tweeting, now he doesn't have to wear a FedEx uniform or something like that. So I think he's happy to be wearing a wearing a non-brown colored uniform. He has ability. Simeon Woods Richardson, he's been an intriguing guy ever since he was drafted by the Blue Jays a few years ago. Belazovic, I think he's got some really good talent too. They have depth there. And so with the offense that they have, and albeit the offense can be a little bit boom or bust, there is, there is depth there. And if the offense can score consistently enough, I think that they have the pitching staff to be probably, you know, be the main challenger to the Guardians in the division. Yeah, I agree. I'm really interested to see what Kenta made is able to do at his age and coming off this injury. And I do like the guys that they have in the minors as well. That's why I wanted to bring them up. So, yeah, I basically echo everything you said. Honestly, I totally agree. Okay, so my over-under here is to talk about some of the other guys in the lineup. Which of these players who I personally view as somewhat interchangeable will have the highest war? Trevor Larnich, Jose Miranda, Kyle Garlick, or Alex Kirloff? With the caveat that Kirloff will probably get injured again, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if we're taking injuries into account, probably not him. And they have him at first base, which we've already talked about. Is it's usually it's usually pretty hard to have tremendously high war seasons as a first right. baseman. Yeah, I would probably take... Give me Jose Miranda, just going on vibes. And I will go, I will go, actually, I thought I wasn't going to do this, but I will go with Kirloff, even if he does get okay. <laughs> Even if you get, so that's either an indictment on the others, or you really think that he's going to gonna break out. <laughs> well, I didn't want to pick the same guy as you. That's fair. <laughs> and uh, Garlic and Larnish might not get the at-bats. Yep, I agree. Okay. Also, did you see this in the doc? They have, yes, they have, we talked about Vasquez. They have Ryan Jeffers, who's a decent backup catcher. They signed four non-rostered invitee backup catchers that every, that I know three of them very well. And I've heard <laughs> of David Buñuelos. They have Tony Walters, Clemson, former Rocky and former Rocky, Chance Cisco, mm-hmm. Grayson Griner, amazing name. And David <laughs> Buñuelos, 
all at AAA. I don't understand this. Do you? Well, nowadays you have to carry three catchers, right? So most teams carry three catchers. So one of those, they're probably in a competition to see who's going to be the third emergency slash whatever catcher. That's a lot of guys to be bringing to spring training. Yeah. I, I think that they're just looking for someone just to like hit a little bit because I mean, you're pretty much going with pretty much just going with Vasquez and Jeffers. So the third one doesn't matter a ton just to be there to get behind the plate on a getaway day, you know, whatever, maybe just be the emergency catcher, whenever one of the catchers gets pinch hit for, or maybe they're DHing, whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's it is funny though. It is funny seeing that many remembering some catchers guys being invited to spring training. So now we're moving into our divisional standings guess. So we'll put you on the spot. If you get it right, first place is five points, second place is four points, so on and so forth. What mm-hmm. do you think the final standings will be? You don't have to get you don't have to give records, just first mm-hmm. place through fifth place. What say you? Yeah, I think the tw- the health of the Twins is better. I think they win the division. The Guardians are going to be second. Um, you know, they just churn, continue to churn guys out, but they still haven't, you know, added enough pieces, I think, to be to be better than the Twins. The White Sox third, it just seems like they're not willing to pay to go into the luxury tax when they really need a couple more pieces. And it's like a question of will, will the rotation hold together? And then... Uh, I'm going to take the Tigers fourth and Kansas City fifth. Is that a homer prediction? Probably. It probably is. But Kansas City, you know, their young pitchers have not developed. I I always take – I'm always been of the opinion, you know, you're like – you take the Cubs method and you develop hitters and you go get the pitching, right? There's so much variability with the young pitchers. You saw – you've seen it with the Tigers, right? Yeah, I, I like the Tigers fourth and Kansas City fifth. Andrew? I'm going to go Guardians first, then the Twins, then the White Sox, and I'll go slightly homer as a former Michigan resident and say Tigers-Royals. Looks like we're all picking something different. I'm going to go Guardians, Twins, White Sox, Royals, Tigers. Cool. We got it in. All right. Well, thank you so much, Logan, for your time. I really appreciate the insight on the Motor City Kitties. The bless you boys. Don't holler at me too much. As always, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope everyone listening at home enjoyed it. Logan, have a wonderful day. And uh, hopefully we'll get them Tigers out of the out of the cellar in the AL Central. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Logan. And with that, we are done with the AL Central preview. Once again, we want to extend our gratitude and thanks to our very special guest, Logan. Be on the lookout next week as we will be going over the National League Central the division of hate and look for that to be dropping next Thursday, hopefully maybe next Friday. And for Andrew and myself, uh, we want to say have a wonderful weekend and pitchers and catchers report next week. Let's go. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening.